0: have your bibles you can turn to romans chapter 12 we're going to start there for a couple verses just to get ourselves acclimated with what we're doing in this number of weeks uh, as pastors talking about gifts of the spirit poured out on god's people the church and how the church needs to be exercising those gifts Um, and we're encouraging all of us to know our gift and to Exercise that gift Romans chapter 12 the first eight verses just to give you a little background about What we're talking about Paul writing to the church in Rome and so dear brothers and sisters I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind he will find acceptable This is truly the way to worship him Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect because of the privilege and authority God has given me. I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are members of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving, Serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. And if it is to give generously, if it is to give, give generously. If God has given you the leadership ability, take responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Peter Wagner in his book that we are using as, as the background for our messages concerning gifts says this about the gift of leadership he says the gift of leadership is the special ability that god gives to certain members of the body of christ to set goals in accordance with god's purpose for the future and to communicate those goals to others in such a way that they voluntarily and harmoniously work together to accomplish these goals for the glory of god that's that's what's behind the the people with the gift of leadership. Um, and that's we read the gift that Spirit gives gifts, including the gift of leadership. Romans chapter twelve. So I thought, well, who in the Bible could we look to as an illustration of godly leadership, of a good leadership? And what kind of character traits would that individual have um, that we could Try to pattern our lives after and whether we have the gift of leadership or not. These traits are still important for us as followers of God. I thought about Joseph. And if you would turn with me to to Genesis chapter 41. We're going to look at the life of Joseph just a little bit and about how God. Used Joseph to become great. To become a leader. And to indeed save his people, the posterity that would come behind him. I'm going to read the first 36 verses So buckle in. This is going to be a little bit of scriptural background, but I think it's going to help for me to maybe pull some truths from here uh, in regarding church leadership. Genesis 41, verse one, two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. In his dream, he saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the water or out of the river and begin grazing in the marsh. Then he saw seven more cows come up behind them from the Nile. But these were scrawny and thin. These cows stood beside the fat cows on the riverbank. Then the scrawny, thin cows ate the seven healthy, fat cows. At this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up, but he fell asleep again and had a second dream this time he saw seven grains seven heads of grain plump and beautiful growing on a single stalk then seven more heads of grain appeared but these were shriveled and withered by the east wind and these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump well-formed heads then pharaoh woke again and realized it was a dream the next morning pharaoh was very disturbed by the dreams So he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. When Pharaoh told them his dreams, not one of them could tell him what they meant. Finally, the chief, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up today, I've been reminded of my failure. He told Pharaoh some time ago, you were angry with the chief baker and me and you imprisoned us in the palace of the captain of the guard. One night, the chief baker and I each had a dream and each dream had its own meaning. There was a young Hebrew man with us in the prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he told us what each of our dreams meant. And everything happened just as he had predicted. I was restored to my position as cupbearer, and the chief baker was executed and impaled on a pole. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the prison. After he had shaved and changed his clothes, he went and stood before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means. But I've heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. So Pharaoh told Joseph his dream. In my dream, he said, I saw standing on the bank of the Nile River, I saw fat, seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and begin grazing in the marsh. But then I saw seven sick looking cows, scrawny and thin come up after them. I've never seen such sorry looking animals in all the land of Egypt. These thin, scrawny cows ate the seven fat cows. But afterward, you wouldn't have known it, for they were still as thin and scrawny as before. Then I woke up in my dream. I also saw seven heads of grain, full and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. Then seven more heads of grain appeared. But these were blighted, shriveled, but withered by the east wind. And the shriveled heads followed the seven healthy heads I'm sorry, swallowed the seven healthy heads. I told these dreams to the magicians, but no one could tell me what they mean. Joseph responded. Both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. The seven thin, scrawny cows that came up later and the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind represent seven years of famine. This will happen just as I have described it for God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt, but afterward there will be seven years of famine. So great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. As for you, two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God, and he will soon make them happen. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead, bring it into Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so there'll be food in the cities. That way, there'll be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. And the story continues and you Bible students will know the rest of the story as it were. but I looked at this, this young man and, and tried to um, discover how, how he became so wise. Um, reminds me, I don't know about you folks, but uh, I sometimes have some crazy dreams. Tina and I have been talking, I don't know if it's just because we're getting older. Maybe we have accumulated more memories. But sometimes we have, mem- we have dreams where they were in the world did that come from. And we just pass them off as silliness. Maybe it was just bad onions we had in our meal the night before. I don't know. But, uh, but there is something that, that maybe we need to be thinking about when it comes to dreams. Especially if they occur again and again. It could be that God is trying to, to tell us something. By the way. I thought it was, it was good that I read all that scripture. I was really wrestling with, don't just cut some of those parts out. And then I remembered what Jesus said in Luke chapter 11 and verse 28, Jesus replied, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. So you got a full dose of God's word today because Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God. I'm sure this isn't the only time you hear the word of God, I trust it isn't, but um yeah that's why you got the full uh, chapter almost a yeah a, a full portion of the chapter um <clears throat> joseph Let's look a little bit about joseph and his youth he was the 11th child of his father the 11th son um and as it turned out one of the most favorite of his sons and that's also a lesson there that we could spend a uh, uh, Our a sermon on about how parents need to be careful of how they treat their children. And I don't know about you, but as a father of three sons, I, looking back, understand that I I treated the oldest different than I did the third. And I don't believe it was because we loved them more. I loved them differently. It was just that by the time the third son came along, we have experienced some things that we realized they could live with and so we weren't as quick to try to protect them or or shield them from dangers or try to control everything that they do uh, they were going to be all right they were learning their lessons um one of the things but but it says in genesis 37:3, jacob loved joseph more than any of his other children because joseph had been born to him in his old age now, that's important because that was not lost on joseph's brothers they realized and understood that Joseph was dad's favorite. And that didn't go well. That was the beginning of Joseph's problems. Uh, and that, that just added insult to injury when Joseph began to dream dreams and to share those dreams with his brothers, even his parents. Um, so much so that, that they hated him to a point that they were ready to kill him. And and had it not been for, I believe, Reuben, they would have done so. Uh, But then they decided to sell him and make some money off of him, sold him into slavery um, to some Ishmaelite traders who were heading toward Egypt. Um, I've often tried to imagine myself being Joseph and have my brothers do what they did to me. I can't imagine. I still can't imagine what that would have been like. But we would think, well, that'd be the end of Joseph's story. He's sold into slavery. He's gone. These dreams that he had will never come true now. But actually, that was all a part of the journey and the fulfillment of Joseph's dreams. He needed to go to Egypt for those dreams to be fulfilled, unbeknownst, I believe, to Joseph. When he had the dreams, I don't believe he realized what they meant or the full extent of their meaning. Uh, It was only later when he looked back on his life that he understood what God was preparing him for and allowing him to see. So one of the characteristics that I would like to suggest for us in making a good leader, especially as we look at the life of Joseph, that is God-given ability, leadership, uh, is to be able to see what others don't see. A good leader can see things that most people won't see. It's the gift that God gives them. They can see beyond the details to what really is going on. You hear that saying that you, you can't see the forest for the trees. A good leader can. They're they always in tune with what is going on. Uh, they're not caught up in the, in the little details, in my opinion. Um, and it's interesting, as I looked at the life of Joseph... All that he went through, the pain and suffering, he never lost sight or lost his integrity or faithfulness toward God. Isn't that amazing? Sold as a slave, became a slave to Potiphar, did the best that he could. Uh, I, I would, with my personality and my, my temperament, I'm not sure if I would have given Potiphar my best, being a slave like Joseph was. But God was with Joseph and because of Joseph's faith and integrity in God, toward God, he gave Potiphar his best and God blessed Potiphar's house and everything that Joseph touched. And then he was tempted uh, and God tested him to see what he would do if he would maintain his faithfulness, his integrity. And he did, as you know, um, he never gave up his, his faith toward God in spite of the circumstances and probably in my understanding, not knowing why he was suffering as he was. What had he had done so wrong that would make him become such a victim of, of um, unspeakable uh, heartache? So a, a good leader is somebody who can You can see and understand things that others can't. Um, And I I look at that as the the, even Joseph's brothers didn't understand what um, Joseph meant or what was what was behind these dreams that he shared with them that one day they're all going to bow before him. The the older brothers are going to somehow bow before the younger one, really? Um, They didn't have no time for that and and Joseph's dad didn't as well. Um, but he understood what, what God was doing and even the ability to interpret dreams. Uh, and, and he looked at, even the magicians couldn't make sense of Pharaoh's dreams. But in, in spite of what Joseph went through, he understood why God had sent him uh, to Egypt. He says so much in Genesis 45, um, when the brothers find out uh, who he is. It says this, but don't be upset, Joseph says, and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your, li- preserve your lives. This famine has ravaged the land for two years and will last five more years. There will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. Um, Joseph understood. What was going on, what God was doing in his life. He even says it in chapter 50 after his dad dies and his brothers are suddenly aware that they're at the mercy of Joseph and they come pleading for forgiveness before him. And he says, "You, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He understood uh, what most people don't. And that's a challenge, even for me, sometimes when you think about it. I was talking with a man recently who just struggled because it seems as though the more he tries to do good and to follow God's plan in his life, the the more heartache, the more problems he has. He's saying, why is God allowing this? I don't understand. And I'm, I guess I'm um, wise enough to say I don't either Always. But there are some that have wrote about that. Psalm 73 is a great place to go to. Where David looked at the life of the wicked and all of their prosperity and say, why am I, why am I doing all this to myself? And then he reveals why. He says, when I, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Make, and then things became clear. I believe that was true uh, in Joseph's life. And I trust it will be true in this man's life. As he stays faithful and doesn't give in to the temptation to to get angry or bitter toward God or other people or even to turn his back on God. But to just say, God, I know God is good and I'm going to trust him, even though what I'm going through is not good. It doesn't feel good. Bible says God works all things together for good. We just need to stay faithful and stay the course, just like Joseph did something else that i see in joseph's life the third point is god-given leadership is often countercultural. um they stand uh, as almost a uh, an outcast in in comparison to the world they seem like they're always going against the current against the tide it's like that that illustration you see of a christianism in the in a stream of fish. The Christians going against the tide. They're different. And that's how it should be. I believe Joseph was one of those. God gave him the gift of leadership. And maybe he didn't understand. But he never went along with the other 11 brothers. And the things that he did. He always stood out against them. In fact he was the one that was squealing on them to dad. And that made them angry. And hated him more. But he always it would have been so easy for him to just follow the example of his big brothers. I was such a young boy that did that. I had a brother, older brother in my life that I just thought he, he could almost walk on water and whatever he did, I want to do what he did. Problem was, he got away with it and I didn't. That was probably a good thing. Imagine if I had gotten away with things. Where might I be today? Um, so, uh, but that was Joseph. He was countercultural. He he didn't go with the rest of the society, meaning his brothers, his family. And I thought of a good illustration. Remember hearing about Billy Graham, Uh, some of you who are over 60 remember the time in the 50s and 60s and all of the civil unrest and the segregation that was just marked our nation, especially in the south. Uh, where, where, even water fountains were labeled for whites only. And I mean, it was just, it's hard to imagine that we had an, as a nation once lived like that in this land, that we were so racist. Uh, and it's the story goes of, of Billy Graham going to Alabama to Bur, Birmingham uh, in 1952, right in the middle of it all. Uh, and it, when he got to the stadium in Birmingham here, he sees. They had a whole row of chairs marked off just for colors. That's where they were supposed to be segregated to that section. Billy Graham had a decision to make. And Billy Graham went and took those ropes down. And much of the chagrin of people in in Birmingham, they just couldn't hardly get it. The, The article went on to say that he made a lot of enemies because he did that. But he took a stand. He said, this is not going to be if I'm going to have a crusade here, everyone is going to Uh, be free to sit where they want to sit and that began his uh, Relationship with the black community and and they saw the the Commitment and the genuineness of his faith Imagine what that did to them to see that he's not like one of the others like the rest perhaps in their eyes Uh, So a good leader is somebody who goes against the tide many times, and it's always because the rest don't see or don't understand what he's trying to do, where he's going. But he has this conviction, this drive, this burning desire to do what's right. And he sees the goal. And so he just keeps pressing on and he tries to communicate that goal, as Peter Wagner would say, to help others to come on board to see, you know what, this is the right thing to do. A fourth characteristic I see of Joseph's life is that a godly leadership has to be patient. And I thought of that uh, looking at the math of Joseph's life. He was 30 years old, it says, when he became second in command in the land of Egypt. And Bible uh, scholars tell us that he was in in, uh, bondage as a slave for 13 years. Sold as a young man of maybe 17. For 13 years, he was in slavery. That takes a patient man to stay the course and say, God is going to work this out. I don't understand. You remember, you Bible students, how how he interpreted the the dreams of the baker and uh, and, uh, um, the cupbearer and said, don't remember remember me when you get before the king. Don't forget me. And it was two years until Pharaoh had his dreams when suddenly the cupbearer said, oh, boy, did I mess up. So I believe that there's, there's a characteristic of a good leader is somebody who patiently perseveres, gives people time to get a hold of the vision uh, and not just, yeah, well, we've tried this long enough. Forget it. Uh, they just keep on persevering. Um, and we read in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31, and this is from the New King James. It says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength They shall mount up with with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Patience, patience. And who of us wouldn't be willing to admit that we probably don't have as much as we ought to or we should or we'd like to. Um, Patience, it's so important. Another illustration that I thought of in uh, in the time of slavery in in our, our history and the history of the world. Um, there was one voice that spoke out William Wilberforce, some of you guys who love to read history or, or look at that. He was, uh, uh, in the British parliament elected there when he was 21, he was elected as a godless man. Three years after he became a member of parliament, he became an evangelical Christian. And then some got up, some folks got to him and said, this slavery issue, this is, this is wrong. We need to stop this we need to break this cycle in our nation and so he began the journey in 1980 in 1789 he made his first public um speech against slavery in the british parliament and he kept it up till 1833 44 years he was fighting this this blight on their nation of slavery and by now he was an old frail man still fighting it's according to this history he made his final public anti-slavery speech in april of 1883 and then on july 26th of that same year wilberforce now frail on his deathbed was told the government finally made the concessions that guaranteed the passing of a bill for the abolition of slavery he died three years uh, three days later what i'm saying is if you have the spiritual gift of leadership, you also want to have this, the gift of patience. You need to be a patient person, giving people time to, to hear what's on your heart, the dream that God has placed there, the vision. And they're going to take some time to process that. And they may, may be excited at first, and then they'll regress. And then you who are leaders need to be able to exercise patience. I think Paul, uh, the apostle, was a man who was patient and not only that, but it was a man who gave God the credit for all that happened in his life again and again in his epistles. He would give God the glory for all that he had been through, and he was through a lot. For example, in Second Timothy, Chapter four, verse 18, he writes, yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever, amen. Philippians four, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his riches, his glorious riches, which has been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Again and again, uh, leadership, godly leadership will recognize that it's God who's doing the work and he is getting the glory. Always, always gets the glory. Um, so, what lessons can we take away from just this little bit of thoughts on the life of Joseph? Um, I believe godly leadership first and foremost is god given you don 't just we don 't all possess leadership skills, according to Romans chapter twelve. He gives the gift of leadership those people who are out there who are Who are standing alone many times, who are who are so different than the rest of the culture, that where they're going, they're saying, no, this is not right, folks. We don't want to go that way. We want to go this way. And they can continue to persevere and with patient leadership, they draw others alongside. But it's a God given gift. It's what Romans chapter 12 and verse eight says. Again, like I said, God-given leadership lets you see what God sees. Um, Sometimes in my studies, I get a glimpse of what I believe God is trying to say, what he means, what's really behind the story. Uh, And then I thought of a a great illustration in 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 13 to 17, where this king of uh, Aram comes um, and is trying to attack Israel. And Elisha keeps hearing about it. And, and telling the king of Israel. Hey they're coming. They're coming. Uh, you don't want to be here. And they come and find out Israel has, has moved. And the king gets so angry. and says who's, who's this, the, the one giving off my information here in my cabinet. And they said no it's Elisha. Anyway, the king gets a massive army and, and travels through the night and suddenly shows up in the town where Elisha is, according to 2 Kings. And the servant of Elisha comes out in the morning and looks and suddenly he sees that they're surrounded by this great army. And he comes to Elisha and says, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Elisha says to him, "There are, don't worry, there are more with us than, the, than are with them. Remember the story? Elisha, this... this servant didn't what are you talking about there's no one here and and Elisha prays to God that he would open the servant's eyes and suddenly he sees what God sees that the hills were just full of chariots of fire and horses of fire and and God was there protecting his own um godly leadership I believe sees what God sees And and is not deterred from pursuing God's vision, God's purpose in his life. And then third, God given leadership is patient, patient, a rare commodity in our culture, um, this idea of being patient and waiting on the Lord. And yet it is so important. Galatians chapter six and verse nine says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. We'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up patience, hanging in there, not giving up. And then lastly, godly given leadership is always for the good of God's people and for his glory. It's always about God and his people. And that's why we as pastors are just spending these weeks talking about leadership or not leadership, but gifts of the spirit that he gives to the church, to the body of Christ, so that we can together become strong and mature as I grow from what you bring to the table and you can grow from what I bring to the table and everyone has a part to play. Um, but it's all for the good of the church, for the good of God's people. And always at the end of the day, it is for his glory. I thought of the um, the benediction that, we, that I often share from Jude uh, 23 and 24. Now, unto Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. Here's what He does for those He loves He will keep us and guard us and, and see us through. But it's all for His glory. He's the one that gets the credit, He's the one that gets the praise. He lets his power and his mercy shine forth so that people would praise and worship and honor him. So what is your gift? Is it leadership? I believe if you have the gift of leadership, you need to let it be known. Talk to somebody about what God is laying on your heart. Reveal that so that people can begin to to, Catch the vision. Catch the dream. Let your gift be, be made known. And don't, don't be intimidated by your age. You think that some well leadership probably comes with wisdom. And that comes with many years of, of practice or living life. I think of Joseph, a young man who was given the gift of leadership. Or Timothy, who Paul had to, to remind, don't let them despise your youth, Timothy. That was something that intimidated Timothy. Esther was another, a Hebrew girl who was brought into the ranks of queen over a mighty nation. And and, uh, Mordecai had to remind her that she may have come to this position for just such a time as this. If you have the gift of leadership, you might be given that for just such a time as this in the life of the Uzi Church. Your gift is needed, whatever it is. Exercise, exercise that gift for the benefit of the church, for the glory of God. Something else that I would like to just remind you, you who have the gift of leadership and especially if it's a natural, it just comes, it just flows and people see it and they are drawn to that. You're like a magnet. Be careful, guard your heart. There is a danger of pride. The enemy will will come in and fill your head or your heart with pride. Look at who I am. Look at all the people that are following me. That's good. But just be careful that it doesn't go to your head. That it goes to the Lord's glory. And then lastly, I would just encourage all of us. Be willing to use your God-given gift. Um, Our church and the survival of this family... I believe it's going to be dependent upon all of us exercising our gift. And when we don't, we allow other things to become more important. All this church might continue to worship here, but she will be sick. She'll be weak. She'll be susceptible to attack from the enemy. We won't grow and become mature unless each part does the function it was designed to do. Does that make sense? Of course. So practice your gift. Hang in with us to the end of November. We're going to bring out this test in the next week or so and allow you to get a preview of it and and begin to look and examine uh, based upon who you are and the things that you are attracted to or driven toward what your gift is. So that you can begin to exercise if you aren't already what God has given you and blessed you with. Let's pray. Lord, I'm, I'm grateful for the life of Joseph. Um, there's so much to glean from his example. How you used him, Lord, to, to go ahead of the nation of Israel, to preserve them during this time of famine um, that ravaged the land. And Lord, you had prepared all along, knowing that this was coming. The life of Joseph through all, even the hardships that he endured, that for many of us, we would just recoil against and, and just throw up our hands in exasperation, say, this isn't fair. Why would this happen to me? I don't read that in Joseph's experience. He was trusting you, believing in you, reminding those who he spoke to, God is, he is in control. And to Potiphar's wife, he said it would be a great sin against God. He continued to maintain his integrity and his faith and his faithfulness to you. When the time came, Lord, after you had tested him, you had prepared him years of preparation, you brought him to that place of position where he could use uh, the gifts that you gave him to to save the nation of Egypt to save his own young nation as well. And then I look, Lord, across this congregation and those who are at home watching, and I believe, Lord, that you would say to each of us, I've given you something and don't don't recoil. Don't run away from the the difficulties that I am allowing to come into your life. Therefore, your maturity, therefore, your testing to make you strong with conviction to stand against the rest of the world and the way that they are going so that I can use you. Lord, I've read somewhere that uh, it's doubtful that God uses anyone greatly until he hurts them deeply. That's something to ponder, Lord. You have this refining process in each of our lives. Help us, Lord, not to try to um, short cycle that but to allow it to do the work it's intended to do and to trust you through it all. So that when we come through, we might be refined as of like gold and we would be vessels to be used in your kingdom, in the body of Christ to bring glory to you, Lord, to do the work that you have called us to do. Bless, I pray this, your people, um, and use them for the building of your church, the family that meets here in Ephrata and beyond will give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.